Should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. So electrified looks different for everyone. Yup, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Jim. Hey, Catherine. Another day. Yes. The days keep happening. Are you less tired today? Yeah, I took a nap in the middle of the day yesterday. Hmm. Uh, Must be nice. But everything just keeps happening is the problem. You catch up on your sleep and then you wake up and then more things have happened. Yeah. Today we found out that more than 3 million people have filed for unemployment this week. Uh, New Orleans is seeming like it's becoming one of the one of the epicenters of this. Oh no. And I think there's concern about the whole south what what might happen there and how prepared the south is. Anyway, um so those are the things that are happening. Right now, unfortunately. And we have uh, on our staff, Ed Young, who's just published a huge piece about what will happen and how this will go. Mm-hmm. And so he could inform us a, a bit, maybe, mm-hmm. if he's willing to talk with us. Well, yeah, we asked him. So oh, yeah, he he's is. literally Hello? waiting on the line, isn't he? Hey. Hey. hey yes, I totally forgot that. Uh, I am muted. Hello. <laughs> Did you just think we were just ignoring you? And- I, I know. It's like, yeah, they, they seem like... They seem really chill. I, I feel <laughs> like I went full British and just sort of sat there for about a minute going, uh, I, uh, um, okay. Um, how are you doing, Ed? I'm all right. So, Ed, you have just, just yesterday published a piece. Why don't you tell us the title? It's called How the Pandemic Will End. So this is something, I mean, we've been certainly getting a lot of questions and I have questions, how will this end? But can you both talk me through this? Because it feels like we're asking the question, how does this end? But has it even started yet? That's a really, really good question. Um, I definitely think we're not even close to the worst of it yet, sad to say. Um, Cases are still growing. We're already seeing um, signs of um, healthcare workers and hospitals being overwhelmed. And those signs will become worse and more abundant i think as the um as the coming days and weeks press on um so you're absolutely right we we need to steel ourselves for things getting worse while at the same time also i think preparing and fighting for measures that might make things better and and i think you know it's always perilous to look far into the future, especially for something as fast moving as this. I think there are two reasons why it's important right now. Um, first, the choices we make immediately, like not not in the usual timeframes or crises, like within days or weeks, like, I mean, like literally right now, those choices are going to have a huge difference on how well the country fares in the future. Um, and also the, the second reason, which is a little more complex, is that even people who had been thinking about pandemics had not anticipated some of America's failures. And if we are to have any hope of averting the worst case scenarios, I think we just need to become much better about imagining the worst and the best possible futures. Right. So it's important, actually, to think about the end now because we have some control over it. Yeah, um, yeah. absolutely. Well, I mean, both of y'all have... Basically, I don't want to say predicted, <laughs> but both of you have been talking about this for months, if not years, about this being a possibility. Did you both anticipate 
how this would go or what's been surprising to you? So um, let me put it this way. Um, I, I think it was very clear that a pandemic was inevitable. Um, no one. It wasn't clear to me. Oh, okay. Right. Okay. So I gotta say, this has been a big shocker. Okay. For me. You should listen right. to episode one if you haven't. <laughs> right. 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 Um, okay. So, so look, I I wrote a piece in 2018 about pandemic threats for the Atlantic. Um, that that is not the only piece that was out there. That a catastrophe of this kind would happen was absolutely inevitable. But that being said, I and everyone else I spoke to, almost to a person thought that the United States was better prepared than it has proven to be. It has so substantially underperformed. It, it is still, I think, hard for people to believe, including people, including the experts I've talked about who, who foresaw that something like this would happen. Well, what about you? I mean, is it hard for you to believe? I think the extent to which the United States has flinched in the face of this virus has been truly surprising. I feel like the um, the view that I found most helpful in framing the national posture towards this um, crisis came from a man named Ron Klain, who um, was the um, so-called Ebola czar, the man who coordinated the America's response to the West African Ebola outbreak of 2014. He pointed out that if you look at the countries that have done a really good job at handling this pandemic, so places like South Korea, Taiwan, Hong Kong, um, not only did those countries do specific things, like widespread testing. But it's also not a coincidence that a lot of them had first-hand experience with SARS in 2003. Mm. And that, I think, is important. Um, the countries that have some experience of what a very fast-moving, possibly pandemic respiratory virus can do to a population have a sense of how to react. They have this sort of like a legacy of medical know-how and, and a, a sort of national readiness that I think we in America and perhaps um, a lot of other industrialized countries just simply lack. Um, Ron said, and I think very rightly, like one of the most common sentences uttered in America today is, I've never seen anything like this before. And that is not something that someone in Hong Kong would have said. Um, and that inexperience um, goes back to what I was saying about the failure of imagination. Well, I want to ask why, and I don't, my question is not why, like, okay, well, we didn't get the test ready in time and leadership wasn't taking it seriously like on a deep level why <laughs> I, okay, <laughs> why are so we this way let, let me okay so i i think there's two ways of looking at it one is that no country can be fully prepared for a thing like this it's just too sudden um too rare too quick so what preparedness really involves is being ready to spring into action when something like this happens that is one of the ways in which we failed this time round, for the lack of testing for the um, lack of coordinated leadership for, for all of that um most people I've spoken to who think about public health and preparedness talk about this concept of cycles of panic and neglect. So 
guess which one we're in now. That sounds a lot like my day to day. Right, right, right. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, and, and, you know, it's our inability to think past a time scale that is typically the time scale of an electoral cycle that I think really hurts us when dealing with some of the massive systemic issues that face society today, whether it's planning for a pandemic or averting climate change. It's it's the same problem. And this is one of the, the, the things I wanted to deal with in the piece. Like, can we break that cycle? Like, are we doomed to forever repeating it? I, I look at the pandemic crisis What's right now. What's the answer, now. yes or no? <laughs> um, Did you figure it out? Are we doomed to repeat? <laughs> you know, the, the, the pessimist and, and maybe the realist in me is not hopeful. Um, and that is a, you know, I, okay, so I look at this pandemic unfolding right now and I'm worried about the short-term deaths and losses that will ensue but i'm even now i'm already worried about like five years from now whether we'll still we'll just slide back into the same vulnerable situation the only the only reason i have for thinking that that might not be the case is a sort of perverse one and it's that this catastrophe is really bad it is on a scale that has affected um all of the country, maybe all of the world, in a way that past disasters just have not. There's no compartmentalizing it. There's no compartmentalizing it. Absolutely. That might be the thing that shakes us out of this cyclical complacence. Right, right. I was wondering, you know, it seems like when we put a defense frame on this, we are able to play into this same notion that um, we have an enormous military. We put like almost all of our money into the military. And the, I, I feel like most of our military, most of our defense system is just exorbitantly <laughs> aired toward like the worst possible scenario, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, except for here. Yeah, I, I I totally agree with that. I think the the just the the disproportionate scale of spending in those two sectors in in, in um, military defense versus public health um, is really striking. And I feel that's especially striking now. And I, I do wonder if that is a thing that will change in the future. Um, this, this event has been compared by many people I've spoken to to something like 9-11. And, and if anything, it is more significant than that. Like 9-11 um, was not mandatorily confined people to their homes or at least not not in a way that affected the entire country and if that caused such profound change in the nation's posture such a such a radical shift towards counter-terrorism as like the number one american priority and of terrorists as the number one american fear maybe this will do the same for public health and for for pandemics as the possible threat um And I think everything boils down to what lessons are allowed to take hold over the next few months and realistically what happens in the election of this November. The way America reacts to that, whether it is seeing the enemy correctly, I think, as the disease or whether incorrectly as the bearers of those disease based on the current situation, will radically influence the nation's foreign policy and it, its um, its posture to the rest of the world going forward. Right, right. So you envision 
three scenarios for how this ends. Yep. And I was wondering if you could quickly run through those. Yeah, to, uh, absolutely. Um, so the the three the three outcomes. So the first one is the unlikely one, and that is every country simultaneously controls their individual epidemics, and the whole pandemic is closed down. Um, it needs to be total and synchronous, and that is just so unlikely right now, given how much certain places are struggling. The second option is that the virus does more or less what the last flu pandemic of 2009 did, which is just sweep through the world, burn through the existing population. Some people die. People who survive um, become immune for a time. The virus can't find enough hosts to spread efficiently, and it just fizzles out. The cost of this scenario would be astonishingly terrible. And, And I think Again, let's we we need to we come back to this issue of imagination. I think some people are not quite grasping just how costly this scenario would be. Millions of deaths, either from the virus or from people who can't be treated for the usual set of heart attacks, strokes, all the rest, because hospitals can't deal with the virus. It means our our healthcare system and our healthcare workforce will just collapse for the for the duration of the pandemic and perhaps some time after as it needs to recover. It means doctors will start making choices like, do I let this patient die because that one might have a better chance of survival? Like this is this would be just such a moral and medical catastrophe. Like it it I just dread to think what this scenario actually would entail. Yeah, I mean, we are already rationing in terms of tests and masks inside of hospitals and that like doctors are getting orders not to wear masks uh, except in very specific situations, even though in an ideal world right now, I would have everyone who comes into a hospital get tested and get a mask every day. So like that's early rationing. And in addition to in New York being told to, if you're feeling sick, just stay home if you can, which is like, you know, the <laughs> the advice is always consult your doctor. Go to an emergency room if you feel sick. Um, but no. So we're on this early stages that I hope it doesn't get to the point you're talking about, Ed. I mean, that's I'm sort of trying to play that out and how, how it would be handled in specific yeah. areas. Like especially yeah, some rural hospitals, it seems inevitable there'll be at least some stories where an ICU just has to turn people away who clearly needed ICU care. Um, yeah, 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 and and you know this is and that goes to some of this is some of this future is kind of baked into place already because the virus has this long fuse to it. Like it takes a long time for the infections to actually show up, and then for the worst of those infections to to play their course. Um, so to to an extent, um, the the future is a little set. So the the present is about mitigating the extent of the problems going forward, mm-hmm. um, you know, to alleviating some of the signs that, that we're, like you say, we're already starting to see. Um, okay. And then, so the final option, which I think is the best, but also the most complicated is that um, we play this protracted game of whack-a-mole with the virus over the course of at least a year, if not two, 
until a vaccine can be made, which means that people in different cities, states, countries try and stamp out their individual outbreaks, bring the virus under control, at which point perhaps social distancing measures can be relaxed. The virus may come back, it almost certainly will come back, but if we play this sort of adaptive game like on and off again, it gives us time to do things like to ready enough protective equipment, to roll out widespread testing, to start developing antivirals, to develop tests to work out who might have standing immunity to the virus. All of those things can be done, but we have to get past the first wave mm-hmm. and then we have to ready ourselves for kind of a long game. So... Just tell me if I'm getting this right. There are kind of (laughs) three options to how this could end. One is basically we missed our chance, which is squash it early. That's right. Two is what some people are seriously proposing right now is just like let it run its course. And that would mean horror on a scale that is difficult to imagine. Mm Mm-hmm. And we certainly haven't seen in our lifetimes, but probably in generations, the scale of the horror and death would be, it, it, talk about a failure of imagination. We, I definitely can't imagine how that would happen. No, nor can I really. So obviously that's bad. Yeah. Um, and the third, which is what we're, the course we're on is that we sort of do this cyclical stamping out of outbreaks and do it sort of in a scattered way, but we kind of put the brakes on it enough that the horror is limited until we can get a vaccine. Yes, that's exactly it. That third solution is about spreading things out over time, minimizing the spikes that would overwhelm um, hospitals, uh, and just buying ourselves enough time that more permanent countermeasures can be developed. So, It seems like even within the third scenario, there's a wide range of how that could go, right? Right, yeah. And I'm wondering how you both think that our failure of imagination is going to play into that. I mean, we're all anxious, right, to get back to life because we have such such intolerance for for what's happening right now. Mm -hmm. But it's because we cannot imagine how bad it could be. I think that's right. And I think um, this is this period right now, these couple of weeks are going to be challenging because people will start getting bored of of um, of uh, social distancing. They'll start wondering why all this is necessary. Um, Meanwhile, um, cases will still continue to climb. So it'll be a weird disconnect between people feeling like they've been subjected to weird draconian measures they don't understand what that also seem not to be doing anything because they won't have any immediate effect on the trajectory of the epidemic um and you will see pressure being placed on um trump and on leaders both national and local to lift these restrictions to um, allow the economy to get back to normal to allow people to return to their jobs and reopen their businesses and at least for now, I think it's it's clear from every health expert I've spoken to that it's really important to stay the course. Like we we need this time, and it's an unenviable position. But there's sort of not really a choice given where we've got to, and 
if those measures are enough, if we can get past that first wave, then we can start being cleverer and more precise and subtle, I think. But that requires a lot of the other things that we've talked about to be in place. The 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 protective gear, the um the widespread testing, the the um serology tests to work out who has um some degree of immunity. Those things um need to happen before we start releasing our our foot off the off the brakes. Um, you know, you can't you can't do that in a situation where where like doctors have no masks or where people are like using trash bags instead of gowns. Um, that that would just be uh, it's it would it would be bad. It would be very bad. You kind of both do this thing that I want to ask you about, where I feel like you're not saying the thing. Someone wrote to us saying that about me. It, it would be bad is such an undersell. And I know there is just basic professionalism <laughs> is what you're displaying. But it's not that it would be bad. I mean, this is horrific. And sorry, I don't mean this in an accusatory way. I think it's an actual curiosity of mine. Like, even you as a journalist who has been covering this and knows intimately what could happen, like, is part of this too horrific to say out loud? No, it's not that. I think I think I've I've two views on that. Firstly, um, many people currently in my inbox would disagree with you that I have been too restrained <laughs> in my description sure. of of the the future events. But I think, look, I I think even now, panic does no one any good. I don't want people to panic. I want people to understand the gravity of the situation. So the piece I've wrote about talks about the various scenarios at play, the numbers that they might involve, and what absolutely must happen with some urgency. Um, I can use as many uh, superlatives as I like, as many graphic adjectives as I can pull out of my thesaurus. And I don't think that's going to be the thing that that makes a difference. I think part of the response that I've had to this piece that I'm grateful of is that it's deliberately written so that it's not about inducing panic, but nor is it about offering false assurance. It's about calmly, but like accurately taking people through what might and what will happen and saying, here are our choices. And that's what I want to leave people with. Like, we still have an option. We still have options. We still have things we can do to avert the worst case scenarios. Here is what the worst case scenario is like. Here's how to get out of it. And I think that's all you can do. I, I think um, people can work out the scale of it for themselves by looking at the descriptions of it. And, and I think it's... Um, I think that a citizenry that is informed but not despairing is one that is more likely to take action than one that is running around thinking that the sky is going to fall on their heads. Um, you know, I want people to feel appropriately alarmed but also empowered. I admire you both. Oh, thank you. Hey, Ed, I have one more question for you, and then we're going to let you go. All right. Shoot. Can you tell me about giraffes? <laughs> um, uh, yes. Just everything. I, Just yes. Everything. Do you remember you know? that 
Giraffes? In the before exist? times with giraffes. Okay. Giraffes are the tallest animals in the world. They are just faintly ridiculous. They have adapted to a life of verticality in ways that are, are just sort of hard to wrap your head around. One of my favorite giraffe trivia um, is that the um, skin on the legs is incredibly tight, um, kind of like compression socks to stop blood from pooling at the bottom wow. of, the, uh, of the legs. Um, giraffes wear have built-in compression socks. Giraffes That's have built-in compression fact. socks, right? That is an excellent fact. It's nice to momentarily think about something besides the virus. I know, right? I, when I, the I, last time I did that was. <laughs> giraffes are amazing. Yeah. Let us remember, yeah. there may be a pandemic, but giraffes still exist. They, uh, they still exist. Just don't forget that. Yeah, they're out there. And check out Ed's piece on giraffes. Yes, please do. Yes, do that one too. Ed is Ed is um our our resident expert on pandemics, how the world ends, and also giraffes. So check out all of his writing. Yes, please. It turns out that releasing a piece about giraffes in the middle of a pandemic was was maybe not the best feat of timing we could have ever engineered. It well, we're out gonna that read Ed's piece on giraffes because it's yeah. amazing. Thanks, guys. And they're still out there with their socks. They don't care that we're having a pandemic. They're living their lives, yep. being tall. Okay. That concludes today's giraffe segment. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks so much. Thank yeah. you, Ed. Right. Take care. Talk Be safe. Bye. 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 You too. Bye. Okay, so uh, this show is produced by Kevin Townsend and Alvin Melleth with help from Anna Waters and Jacqueline Landry. Write us at socialdistanceattheatlantic.com. Ed's pieces on pandemics and his excellent feature on giraffes, if you need to not think about the pandemic, are all on theatlantic.com. And the best way to support all of our journalism is with a subscription, which you can do at theatlantic.com slash support us. That's it. Thank you. All right. Okay. Bye. Bye. So should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. Yes, we could go all electric with a Toyota BZ4X, but then there are hybrids like Grand Highlander. Or we could do something in between like a RAV4 plug-in hybrid. So Toyota is electrified diversified? Yep, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, the closer we all get to Toyota's Beyond Zero vision for the future. Exactly how much coffee have you had this morning? Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero.